Introducing out of Sampson County, Roseboro, North Carolina. Number 44, WNBA All Star. First of many to coach male athletes, the model of women empowerment. Ladies and gentlemen, prepare for God's track. This is Chastity Melvin, host of the God's Child podcast, and I am excited today to have my father on as the featured guest. Welcome to the God Child podcast, where we cast light on situations with love. Hi, Reverend Jimmy Melvin. Thanks for joining the show. Good morning, Chastity. Love you. I love you too. So tell us a little bit about your story and your humble beginnings. Raised up on the farm, farm in uh, Sampson County. My father was a logging contractor and farmed, and uh, my mother, raised being raised on a farm, uh, he was very industrial in his with his occupation. Uh, I got a good dose of manhood with responsibility, and tending to the farm, plowing, and and you know, fulfilling those responsibilities. And tell us a little bit about your father. Could I know that Grandpa couldn't read and write? So tell me how how was it that he was able to own his own logging company and amass land without being able to read and write. He was the genius in his mind. He was uh, a very critical thinker and uh, sort of had a photographic memory. Memory He could count within his, and in his head. He's, I, I never saw him cheated. Uh, and uh, he was very, uh, such a visionary, such a vision. His motto was don't let what you can't do keep you from doing what you can. And he had that disposition. If the Lord lets me get up in the morning and gives me opportunity to get out, something will happen. He just believed in uh, with his ability that something was going to unfold in a positive way. And he was uh, such a networker and such a communicator. It was amazing at his age. And I, this, I, I'm, I'm his second set of children. So I'm, I've reached him at a very mature age. He was my father at a very mature age who had already, already settled in his, what he was doing in his establishing his relationships. He was in his, he was in his late fifties and sixties when we were born. And so he was already a very established person. So we, we, we were mentored in his maturity. Speaking of uh, you were the second set of kids. How many siblings do you have? They're actually, uh, I'm one of, I'm one of 10. When I, when I'm, I'm one of 10. And so I, I'm in this, there was three boys and two girls in the first set of children. And in the set that I'm in, there are three boys and two girls. Wow. Wow. So t tell us a little bit more about your grandfather, because now we're, you know, social injustice is a big thing. Obviously, you came through the civil rights movement, but I just want you to say so people can believe me that granddad signed all his contracts with X. And now that was your father, my granddad. And yeah. that's not and long that, ago. And that was interesting uh, to see that uh, even at that, even after I was uh in high in high school and was be with him transacting stuff. He still, he still made that, he still made that X. 
<laughs> he was not ashamed about it because he saw the next person as his equal because he was a business owner and um, self-employed. And he was, and he conducted himself so that we were never ashamed of it. It's just that smart. He helped my sister with algebra. He helped. And he would algebra. get. And so, talk about grandmother, his wife, my grandmother. How he would get her to read the Bible to him. He'd get her to read the Bible, and he he wanted to be up abreast of events, and he'd have her to read the newspaper. And then he eventually, as we became uh, teenagers, he'd have us to read the newspaper to him. So is that where you got your reading the newspaper from every day? Yes. Because <laughs> yeah, he, he, wanted, he wanted to be abreast because he was a businessman. He wanted to be able to, and I understand now, he wanted to have conversation. He engaged he engaged in political conversation and cultural conversation with anybody he met. And I just, as more I think back and look, I was amazed that uh, he was very successful. And uh, um, because, because, he was so successful not being able to read and write. What advice would you have to the our African-American culture who we have a lot of people starting their businesses with all this education, but I know you said grandpa used to tell you and the boys like, y'all don't need to go to school, but he, he, want, he was okay with his daughters going to school, but he was a little bit, he had like still the little patriarchy. He was like, only the women could go to school and be teachers or <laughs> social social workers. So how did that make you feel like he didn't really well empower he, you to go to school? Uh, I realized now he he valued our he taught us everything he knew that at as soon as he could he taught us everything that he knew to make us industrial, and uh, but that was a, that was a livelihood for him, and uh, uh, but as a the, as an owner operator you can do that, but it's it with when it but when it falls it falls with you. And uh, as we grew, we didn't see the vision in it. We didn't see the, you know, developing it. We didn't see that part of it. And he was a little, at his age, he was uncomfortable of venturing out to something new that he could uh, navigate his way at whatever level by being able to read. So because there was a lot of technology that changed the logging business and he yeah. wasn't abreast of that. And so then he got kind of he kind of got lost in the self when things were changing yes. because he was afraid of the technology because he didn't understand it as well. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And uh uh there was a there was a subtle um a subtle thought in the mind of that generation that uh because of tax and you have to pay tax being a logging contractor had plenty of opportunity to buy property that had timber on it and actually would have would have paid for the property. But uh because of that having that confidence to expand and envision uh with the times he refused. He didn't he didn't participate in that. And uh and one of the things I asked him if when he was uh, as he was uh sick before he passed, what would he have done different? And he said he would have he would have bought a lot more land than he previously had. Hi, this is Chastity Melvin, host of the God's Child Podcast. I have on here on the show too with me today, my father, Reverend Jimmy Melvin. And we are talking about his father, his humble beginnings. Dad, tell us a little bit about how your father instilled in you father culture. Well, 
I look back now and I, I cherish that because he he uh he embraced being responsible. He 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 never complained. It was like second nature to him and all that. But with looking after his family, he also was so generous in being a covering for a lot of other people, a lot of the family members. And that had, and as I learned the history, that had been something he'd always embraced. And he was mentor to many. He was uh, encouraging and nurture and help people, giving them opportunities. And, and that was white and black. It was amazing the network that he had and the people that uh, he communicated with and uh, looked and, and was supportive of and those that supported him. Obviously, you, I don't know if you had planned to have five kids, but you were very young when you started having your kids and a lot of your friends, as we call it today, your crew, your homeboys, they weren't having kids like you. So you were driving your station wagon around while they had the latest Monte Carlos and yeah. Chevy and Palace and everything like that. Tell me how you had the fortitude or the confidence to still go about being who you were uh, when your friends still made kind of fun of you and um, the community chastised you about what are you doing? Why are you having these kids? And and, and being married at such an early day age. One thing that my father instilled in us, that your decisions were important. And when you make a decision, you you stick with your decision. We committed, agreed to work for somebody. You know, if we agreed to help them with tobacco, whatever we agreed to do, he held us to it. So we understood decisions were very important. And and if you are committed to something, then you gave that person your, that you, they were looking for you. And I, I remember at, uh, when I worked to work at the Goodyear plant, and so I said I was gonna take a I was gonna take a, a night off. I was at I was at the little local uh juke joint standing out and him and my mother and my younger brother came by and they saw me standing out. He turned around and came back. Aren't you supposed to be at work? I said, Yeah. I said, Well I'm not going. He said, Yes you are. And he took me to work. <laughs> He took, he said, cause you, you gave that man your word, it's your word. And uh, now that was a company with over 2000 employees. He said, no, you gave that man his word and you going, you going to work cause he's looking for you. And he drove me to work. For the, for those of you who don't know, Jute Joint is the club. So that's the club scene. So back in the day, they called the club scene, the Jute Joint. So dad, your grant, your dad came and picked you up from the Jute Joint, from the club and took you to work. Yeah. I don't think that would happen at all today, but that's that's a great story. I don't think that would happen at all today. Think about it all the time. So, so we, we understood that your decision was important, and the men that we were around. So we worked around. We were around not only my father, but my uncles, my senior cousins. See, I was that uh, his last set of children. Then my cousins were had children the same age we were. So we were mentored and affirmed by everyone. They had that same affirmation that they affirmed you to your uniqueness and how important your decisions were. What, what was it like to receive that calling from God to become a minister? I had uh, vague dreams of just not knowing, not seeing a future. Internalize it. That really what was my purpose? What what am I to be doing? And coming out of high school and I went to Samson Tech Community College for play basketball there the first year and then 
that wall, working on father some, and then apply for a job at the Goodyear plant. I just began restless and and finding out this can't be all of it. This 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 can't be all of it. And um, I reached out to, to the job and gave me financial independence. But I I began to uh, hunger for just knowing my purpose, giving sense and making something out, making sense of direction out of life. Uh, and uh, then I had, I was always, I was laid back, smiling, but I could not, the ugly side would come out of me if I saw somebody being taken advantage of. It didn't matter who. I just did not like to see people taken advantage of. And I guess that was that that pastoral gift that pastor gift because it, you know, it was all through high school, even growing up. Uh, and I just didn't like to see people taking advantage of that call in the ministry, like just locked me in with my purpose and enabled me to live with passion, to just follow that with passion and find so much, so much fulfillment out of it. And, uh, and, and that's what I hopefully all the guests will share like their spirituality and their story because spirituality is more for the soul searching. It's like you were searching for something for your soul. Like you said, you had financial independence, you were making good money, but there was still something like you knew there was a bigger purpose. Preaching for well over 40 years, correct? Right. So let's get into the four H's. So on the God's Child podcast, we're casting light on situations with love. I have my father, Reverend Jimmy Melvin. We're going to get into my question series with the four H's. What was your most humbling experience? What was your happy experience? What was your um, your like heartbreak experience? And what was your headache or what is still your headache? Like, uh, I'll have to speak to you in preacher terms. Like Paul always had a thorn in his side. So what is like your thorn in your side that you can't get with? So let's start with Reverend Melvin. What is your humbling, most humbling experience? My most humbling experience was marrying your mother. Oh. That was a very humbling experience. And why so? Because uh, I truly released and became so vulnerable you became vulnerable in that moment when you married your wife mm -hmm. did it take you to another level did you feel the pressure because a lot of times men feel like you know they get married or they they have their kids and there's so much pressure of that responsibility how did that not affect you well i think i welcomed the challenge uh i worked at the challenge because i had uh, we were taught to pray growing up and I had for a couple of years, I had been praying before that, uh, God would guide me because I was taking on more responsibilities uh, with my father being older. I was taking, I had to take on a lot of and stuff that I couldn't, I couldn't say, no, nah, I'm hanging out. No, I, I things that I, he expected me to take care of. So it, that's a serious side. Comes, so I began to pray that if, when, about, you know, God, you guide me when I get married, help me to make the right decision. I prayed that for a couple of years. And the night that uh, your mother and I were to get married, I was going to go out, hang out, and that I was getting married. They just, they just want, they just still were in a limbo. <laughs> and uh, when I went out to get in my car and I sat in the car so long, I sat there and a calmness came over me 
I couldn't explain. Just it wasn't a numbness, but a calmness. And I sat there so long, my mother came out and said, What's wrong? I said, I don't know. I said, I really don't know. She said, Well, maybe. And, you know, being a mother, that's a sign you need to stay home tonight. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, you know, you know how she could say it, right? Yeah. Girl? And uh, like it's your decision, but uh, so I went back in the house and I didn't go anywhere. But none of none of the guys came by to see what happened. I, I, I look back and I think about that. Nobody came by. Nobody, nobody came by to check, see what happened. And uh, so you, that was, you felt like that was a divine moment and that you were doing the right thing. And yeah, I'm so excited about it. And so all the way in, she would periodically ask me, are you, are you really, even years or two after we were married, are you really sure? Do you really, you really love me? Are you, you know, it was, I don't know if it was too much of a fairy tale or what, but it was just, but I, 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 I never had a moment of reservation. And sometimes I, I, I think about it, it's kind of scary. Awesome. Wow. That's a wonderful story. I hope I have that humbling experience in the future at some point. So what was your most heartbreaking experience? was to experience uh, our house burning down in 1967 and 68 in the fall of the year. Uh, humbling experience because we we had never experienced, but we were completely happy and had not experienced tragedy. We hadn't experienced anything. We had not, that that had not been a part of our life. And how old were you at the time when the house was, burned down? I was 15. I was in I was in the ninth grade. I was and in, you guys and the I family lost high, everything. Yeah, I was going to high school for the first year. Oh, so you were going into your freshman year and the house burned down with all the school clothes. Yeah. Every, you guys lost everything. And we and we and we had shopped and we had finally got what we could shop ourselves. And I had I had bought me these outfits. I have my outfits. <laughs> Oh, I have. I, I was. I was gonna be rolling. We we were in Sunday school. We were in Sunday school. Had on our sneakers. And we didn't have on our. We didn't have on our our basketball sneakers. We had on our sneakers because we were gonna go play, and uh, everything got burned up. And it was amazing. My father and was sitting on the porch. They were seeing you know, our men would sit around us, and they were sitting on the front porch, and they looked around. The flames were coming out, coming out in the house. Wow. Oh, I didn't know they were there at the time. They were there. They were there. And I had been hunting. And I had got a shotgun for Christmas and I had and I had been hunting. And when I went around the house, I had remember I put the gun. I stood on the porch and I reached and got the gun. I still have that gun today. Well, that was one of the only things you could salvage from the house. What I had on, and they, and because the chest that 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 uh cedar chest that my that you seen my mother have was right there at a double window, and they broke the window out, and they got the cedar chest out. Wow! And it, it had all the papers and everything in it. Wow! Those were two items that were saved. So wow! Unbelievable! Unbelievable! So, what was your happiest moment? My happiest moment was when I held my first daughter, Chastity Miller. <laughs> ah, that's me. That's me. <laughs> yeah. 
Listen, this is Chastity Melvin, host of the God Shell Podcast, and we did not plan that. We are recording this live and in effect, and so your happiest moment, and a lot, a lot of men say their happiest moment is holding their first child. Um, so I was the firstborn for you. Why, why, why do you think that was such a happy moment? Cause it, it like, uh, seemed like it solidified and affirmed purpose. Okay. It's like it, it just, you know, it's just like it was like one of those moments. Yeah. I'm I'm in the right, I'm in, I'm on the right beam. So you looked at it as in a positive way, because sometimes men can, and obviously if they're not, they're unmarried and, and a child is born, they look at it as a way of you know keeping them from reaching their goals and dreams. So what what advice would you have to men out there when a child is born, whether it's wanted or planned or um, it's not in during a marriage. Uh, they 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 should. Um, I think this it's it it should be a growing up moment. It should be it be it should gives it should give them a sense, a purpose. If they hadn't had one, it, it should give them a sense of purpose and give them added to incentive to become the best person they could be. And uh, and to want to grow, want to grow, desire to grow, to be open, you know, open to learn. I think that's one thing for me. I, I it made me want to expand, want to learn, want me. I wanted to learn. And you want so you wanted to become the best father and the mm-hmm. best man and the best husband you could be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Mm-hmm. This is Chastity Melvin, host of the God Child Podcast, where we cast light on situations with love. I have my featured guest here, my father, Reverend Jimmy Melvin. And we've talked about his humbling story, his heartbreak story, his happiest moment. And now we're going to talk about his headache moment. What is the thorn in his side that he can't get rid of? Um, So, Dad, what is your headache moment? What's the thorn in your side? I've had to come to grips with... You will never outrun or graduate from the demands from God of being obedient. It is it is a lifelong thorn that you'll be you'll have to deal with. So and 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 if I'm breaking it down, you can't run from God. You can't run from your calling. And you and, and your purpose and and even in your in your relationship with him, he demands obedience. You know, so it's that 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 point. Uh and I have been thinking on that, have been focusing on that, that you don't, you don't, you don't, you don't get to a place and you put it on cruise. This constantly he's demanding more of us and he demands such intimacy, he demands obedience. And uh as I've read older biographies of ministers, you can pick that up in in their biography that even that's that's going to be a thorn that the enemy uses until you take that last breath and that's the thing like to most so that's a great point because so many people think ministers have it easy to obey their calling and to and to live life as a believer and not mess up and you see it across the board in the news media of of ministers taking advantage of people and um you know just not living christ-like 
Right. And so it's interesting that you say that, like, that's the that's the kind of headache, you know, to try and be obedient and try to live, you know, you know, live in a relationship with God. So what, what advice would you have to young ministers and ministers today that have that same headache? Like, what advice would you give them to to try to be obedient and try to, you know, continue and be consistent in their life? They have to sell out. They they have to sell out. They have to, it has it has to become. They have to become one with with the purpose. So they can't they can't straddle the fence. They can't no. It's 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 either all or none. It's but either all push, or none. All or none. And I use this statement, and we wonder how great leaders. We wonder how do they accomplish that. And then the more we go on in life, and we see the demands. A leadership and being successful and how to do it. And I think of uh, Dr. Martin Luther King and you question you when you read and you, and you go back and, and we reverse it here thinking what he allowed himself to be used for was how did he do it? He gave what it called for. He gave what it called for. And I think, and if we would check with any successful if you would ask Michael Jordan, how did he get accomplished that? He gave what it called for. And I think as an athlete, you can understand it also. Those that LeBron, how did he gave what it called for? And that's and that's along with every distraction, but he gave what it called for. And I and 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 in that that's that's where we the denying and giving of our giving of ourselves is so important. But the and and embracing that passion, when you embrace that passion, it makes it easier to do because it becomes a place of, of who you are. And you so uh and living life without passion, you you know you know your father. I would be a very miserable person to be around without being in my place of passion. Awesome. Well, this has been a great interview, Dad. Thank you for your time. Pastor Melvin, host of the God Shall podcast with my featured guest, Reverend Jimmy Melvin, my dad, my spiritual father, and my earthly father all in one. So this is Chad Melvin, host of the God Shall podcast, and we're going to leave you with this. Keep believing. Don't be deceiving. Keep achieving. Keep moving. Keep sacrificing. Because what you've lost, you cannot gain but you can put in your future what you dream and what you believe and you'll be put yourself in posi position to receive. That's it. I am Chastity Melvin with the God's Child Podcast where we cast light on situations with love. Thank you to my father, Reverend Jimmy Melvin, for joining us. Episode two in the books. All right. <laughs> I love you. Love you too.